0: You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in traditional approaches to food, farming, and natural resource preservation. Today, we're speaking with Carrie Doe, founder of the Bees for Peace program, about the role of bees in our world and in a flourishing food system. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. It's a delight to be here today. We're really happy to have you here. And let's start with the very basics. It may seem like a silly question, but what is a bee and how many types are there in Canada?
0: This is not a silly question at all because the lack of knowledge around bees, I think, is unfortunately quite low. There's a couple things to realize about bees. First of all, they are not wasps. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't know how to tell the difference between a bee and a wasp, and they're very scared then of bees because they are more familiar with the what seems like an aggressive species, which is the wasp. Okay, mm-hmm. um, wasps are carnivores, so if you're eating a tuna fish sandwich, they're going to be very happy to visit you during your picnic. Bees are not carnivores; they feed from flowers. They are not interested in your tuna fish sandwich, and they're probably going to leave you alone during your picnic, unless, of course, you have very sweet things available and out for them to pick up on. So bees are highly efficient pollinators, and they're essential to our food security and our ecosystems. We cannot ignore these creatures anymore, um, because without them, we won't have enough food. One in every three bites of food that we eat come from animal pollinators, mainly from bees. With the evolution of bees, there was a flower explosion. And that is the world that human beings evolved in 300,000 years ago. So bees are much, much older than we are. And it's amazing how quickly we are taking them down. Bees, in terms of their biology, mm-hmm. they have a lot of hair on their body typically, which allows pollen to stick to them. And that is why they're such e- efficient pollinators. So, just very briefly, what is pollination? Pollination is basically about flower reproduction. Flowers, unlike humans and a lot of other creatures, cannot walk to their mate. <laughs> so they need <laughs> bees and other creatures or even the wind and water to act as a kind of intermediary in their, um, in their love affairs with each other. Flowers have all these ways in which to attract bees and other pollinators. They have these beautiful scents. They have lines on their petals that kind of are like landing pads. Instructions for the bees. You know these these lines on the petals of the flowers that say, "Down here is the nectar." What is nectar? So bees are they do eat pollen. They bring pollen back to their nests for their young. But what they really want is that nectar. And so the nectar is usually further down in a flower, whereas the pollen that that yellow dust that you see in the center of flowers often on these stems, which are the stamen. So the bee comes into the flower crawls in, looking for the nectar, and the hairs on its body grab all that pollen. The bee then flies to the next flower, where some of that pollen falls off deep into the uh, female reproductive parts of the flower, and voila, you get more flowers, you get fruits, you get vegetables, you get the basis for our life and the lives of many creatures on this planet. In terms of how many types of bees there are in Canada, worldwide, there are 20,000 species of bees. Wow! In Canada, there are 800 species of bees. Wow. None of the native bee species of bees are honeybees. So this is the next thing about, in terms of what is a bee, most people, when they think of bees, they think of two things. They think bees produce honey and bees stink. That's only partly true. Not all bees sting, male bees don't sting at all, and not all species of bees sting, but most species don't produce honey. Mm. 90% of the world's bees are solitary. When people hear the word bee, they think of the honeybee, they think of the beehive with thousands and thousands of members, um, and of course they think of a queen, they think of honey. Solitary bees don't have any of that. They live alone or sometimes in a kind of condo situation where they share an entrance to their individual nests. They don't create a hive. Instead, they live in the ground where they, uh, they burrow into the ground, or uh, sometimes they live in old wood, like logs, or the pithy stems of flowers. And these bees are also highly important because they are very efficient pollinators. The problem is, is that people don't know about these solitary bees. And these are the bees,
1: not honeybees, that are actually endangered. Okay, good to know. So thank you very much for that, Carrie. I didn't realize, lots of lots of takeaways there, and 800 species of bees in Canada, that's fascinating information. And as you were describing, that there really is a sophisticated design in nature, and it reminds me that we live in an ecosystem. And mm-hmm. we need to be always mindful of that intelligent design and that sophisticated design and how it was working while we're making our decisions around whatever it is we're doing as a human family. So May 20th is World Bee Day. And why do we need a day to celebrate and reflect on all that bees do for the world?
0: Because we haven't been reflecting enough on it. Um, As I said, you know, with 90% of the world's bees being solitary, you know, I, I come from the study of religions. And what I find so fascinating is how bees figure into the religious traditions of so many peoples of the world. You can find bees mentioned in a lot of the world's religions. Um, you can find bees mentioned in indigenous religions, Canadian indigenous traditions. But the solitary bees, these small creatures, 90% of the world's bees, I have not found any traditions surrounding them. And as I said, these are the ones that are endangered. These are the ones that have always fallen below our radar. And the eminent biologist Stephen J. Gould once said, we will not protect what we do not love. So part of the, the task of Bees for Peace is to educate people about bees, including these solitary bees, and to get them enthusiastic about these bees right away. So enthusiastic that they love them and therefore want to protect them. We live in a time of increasing social polarization, which doesn't benefit any of us. Mm -hmm. The name of this day sort of emphasizes the fact that bees unite us all, that we are all dependent on these bees, that bees have always been important for human life and culture on planet Earth, and that we can unite again around conserving bees, around preserving them, and around preserving the ecosystems and the and the nature that they need that this is the common ground that we all share both socially and ecologically you know that that we need to overcome the social polarization we only have this one earth and what a precious gift that it is we need to realize that food doesn't just come from the supermarkets it comes from the earth itself and we also come from this earth
1: and isn't that something to celebrate That's fantastic. Those words of wisdom, we won't protect what we don't love, so that we need World Bee Day to help understand the species and to help protect and love them so that we can protect them. That's wonderful. And so the theme for this World Bee Day, which is coming up on May 20th, is be, B-E-E, engaged. What are some specific ways that individuals can help bees thrive?
0: So in terms of how we can do that, over 50% of the world's population lives these days in cities. So it's really important for people in cities to get involved. In fact, cities are a great place to work on bee protection. What's so great about the city is that bees don't require a whole lot of space for their conservation. You really only need a small space to help preserve bees. In the city, you see all of these houses with extensive lawns. Oh, beautiful grass. Well, If I'm a bee, I look at that and I think, man, where's the food? Yeah. (laughs) From a bee perspective, a lawn is a food desert. Okay, so you also see, you know, beautiful tulips and, and other imported flowers, which all bloom at one time of the year and then die out. Well, there's two problems with that. First of all, these are not native plants. And a lot of these solitary bees, they are evolutionarily adapted to only certain plants. The honeybee can feed from all sorts of plants, but other bees can't. Native plants are beautiful. What people in the cities can do is they can put in native plants to whatever ecoregion you live in. And if you think, well, I don't know what my ecoregion is, that's fine. Look at the Pollinator Partnership Canada website and look for their ecoregion planting guides. You will find a planting guide, a definition of your ecoregion and a planting guide uh, proper for your region. Um, if you need help with any of this, you can look at the Bees for Peace website. We have some garden templates. Another thing you want to do is you don't want to mow in May. If you do have an extensive lawn, just let it grow. You know, a lot of bees are coming up out of the ground at that time of year, so you don't want to disturb them. But they also need the flowers that are blooming
1: in your lawn as the first food that they get. If you if you mow you destroy their food source. So that's really wonderful information, Carrie, and um, more information on the Bees for Peace website on how everyone can be engaged. Thank you so much for that, Carrie. And after the break, we'll talk about the social and humanitarian significance of the Bees for Peace program with its founder, Carrie Doe. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist.
0: Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you're listening to Food for the Future. We're speaking with Carrie Doe, founder of the Bees for Peace program, as we look forward to World Bee Day coming up on May 20th. Carrie, can you tell us more about the Bees for Peace program and why you founded it?
0: I founded this because I had a vision when I was in a bee protection workshop one day and somebody asked how much living space the bees need. And I saw bees flying from the synagogue to the mosque, to the church, to the Buddhist temple, to the um, secular school, to the community center as messengers of peace. Because unlike humans, bees don't discriminate. They're happy to feed from the flowers at each of these sites um, and to visit each of these sites. And so bees, as we protect them, they can remind us of what all of our humanistic and religious traditions teach us, which is that we should promote peace and discrimination and take care of the planet that is our common
1: home. Fantastic. So they're they're examples. Actually, and metaphorically, before the break, we talked about all the symbolism of bees that are across many faiths and folklore and mythology and various um, uh, narratives of our history as the human family. But also, um, what an image, you know, when you were talking about where a bee flies, where a bee goes, all of those places, they're just curious and free. And that is, I think, a really powerful message for these days. What are some of the projects and events that Bees for Peace contributes to for kids, particularly?
0: Well, there's a couple of talks that I give. One is called Restoring Paradise, and that's where I give tips on native plant gardening. Another one is Sweeter Than Honey, which is the cultural history of bees. And what I'm really excited about is our summer camp program, which we're starting this summer. We're working in conjunction with the United Church of Canada. And we have over um, 10 summer camps set up right now where the kids over the course of five days, these are day camps that run Monday through Friday, 9 to 12. And we, in these five days, we bring together human themes with bee related themes. So for an example, on day two, we will talk about food security for bees and for humans. We bring these two topics together along with a value, which is gratitude on this day. Um, We will also be talking about habitat, uh, climate change, community, uh, respect for the web of life, kind communication, and the celebration of diversity. And the kids will have all sorts of fun activities that help them build community among themselves, learn to appreciate nature, get excited about the bees, and uh, create more teamwork. On the last day, they will learn all about native plant gardening. They will go home with a little community of native plants that they can then plant themselves. And so we're really excited about this.
1: Yeah, lots to be excited about. So that's across Canada. More information on the Bees for Peace website. And I really love the structure of the program, that kind of that, that unity perspective of learning about bees, learning about human beings. It's a wonderful program. You're clearly dedicated and an expert in bees, not only their role in human life, but across the ecosystem and evolution that I'm wondering, Carrie, what's one of your favorite stories or experiences in the Bees for Peace program?
0: Last summer, I had a team of students helping me get Beast for Peace set up in in the greater Toronto area. Two students worked at a Catholic church where several priests had been quite hostile toward the gardens surrounding the church. Uh, One, in fact, uh, he wanted to have all the uh, plants growing in the corners of the garden chopped down in order to get rid of the garden snakes. Even the garden snakes are actually a sign of health in a garden. And by the end of the summer, the priests said that they understood now why the students were there and why they were trying to protect bees through putting in a pollinator garden. And I think that switch in mentality among the priests was so essential because they're the authorities in this particular community. And now they're much more likely to bring in nature conservation into conversation with the Catholic teachings in order to get more of their community on board
1: for taking care of the planet. Right, it, you know, just what conceptual consistency across the show, you know, we have talked about uh, the role of bees in life and future, and it's, an, it's a real example of everything we've been talking about in the show, where we can learn from each other and um, share knowledge and look for inspiration and, and power in, in many places that we may not have actually looked before. So that's very poetic and a wonderful discovery. There's a,
0: there's a little bit of a, uh, how can I say, a postscript to the story, if I may. Okay, sure. That church has been contacted by another church, which now also wants to put in a pollinator garden. And so one of the students that will be working with Bees for Peace this summer will be assigned to doing outreach, not only to that second church, but to all the religious communities in the area, as well as businesses, schools, apartment buildings, in order to get people to put in native plants and start to rebuild the fragmented habitat of bees.
1: That's fantastic. It started as really uh, a project, a couple of people, and that it's grown out exponentially in a relatively short period of time when you think about how long change can take. And I think these days we're all looking for inspiration and deeper meaning and connections and that kind of thing. And, and the bees are giving us one real uh, great source of information. So Carrie, in this show, we try to bring the humanities, which history, philosophy, creativity, to today's food dialogue. And how do these ways of understanding the world relate to the Bees for Peace program?
0: Well, one of the things that the Bees for Peace project tries to do is to connect with people's deep set values. And this is a little different than a lot of environmentalist programs, which are much more scientific and technocratic. We do try to bring the scientific knowledge and practical know-how to people so that they, you know, with our templates, for example, so that people can look at our garden templates and say, oh, I can do this. This is easy. Right. But we really try to connect to what moves people the most Um, because people are just, most people are just not gonna care about solitary bees. They're not gonna care about native bees. They're not gonna give a lot of their time and attention to taking care of nature, no matter how important they intellectually understand that it is. And therefore you have to connect with them on a deeper level. So just to give one example, I got a call from a particular organization I was interested in partnering with Beast for Peace, but the woman I was talking to, she mentioned that a young girl in their community had just recently died, and the community wanted to do something in her memory. They wanted to plant a tree. And I said, have you thought about planting a native tree that flowers? She said, well, no, why should I do that? I said, because even in the ancient world, and this was a Jewish organization, so I said, in the ancient world, including in the ancient Hebrew world, Bees represented rebirth and resurrection. And that's because they're connected to spring. Spring is the time of rebirth and rejuvenation in a lot of the world's religions. And the bees come back in the spring. With planting a native tree that flowers, the bees will come and feed from that tree as a memorial to this young girl, as a sign that she is always with the community. And that really spoke to the woman. And so these, these ancient traditions, the history, the philosophy, and the creativity that people have always shown around bees is still highly relevant to our lives today.
1: Thank you very much for sharing that very heartfelt story with us, Carrie, and how fortunate for that family and those communities to be able to have had the opportunity to talk to you and think about the deep significance of the type of tree to be planted and all that it means and how love is something if you um, give it away. So here we have this springtime every season the flowers are going to come, the bees are going to come, and there is this Uh, everlasting life that you're uh, going to be observing. It's really important these days to share stories like that. And the Bees Per Peace program has many of them. Thank you so much, Carrie, for all your wisdom and our dialogue today. And thank you to to your entire team as well. And the whole community in the Bees for Peace program for your incredible work. I know I've learned a lot today. I have a lot to think about, and uh, I'm really getting excited about all the things that I can do to seek out for those solitary bees, which I didn't know about, in the ways that I can contribute more. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, Carrie. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Carrie Doe, founder of the Bees for Peace program in anticipation of World Bee Day coming up on May 20th. Each week we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, what could you do to help bees thrive, particularly the solitary bees. Something to do, search Bees for Peace or World Bee Day to find out about the many types of bees in Canada and across the world, the ways individuals and groups consolidate, collaborate to support bees and our ecosystem and much more. Next week on the show, we return to the monthly series, Food for Thought. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980
0: CFPL.ca.